Welcome to Advanced Automation, a podcast by Calvary Robotics, where you'll find industry leaders and experts sharing their thoughts on the world of automation. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Josh Cravel, your host for this installment of Advanced Automation. With us today, we have Dr. Doreen Edwards. Dr. Doreen Edwards is the Dean of the Rochester Institute of Technology's Kate Gleason College of Engineering since July of 2016. She holds a PhD in Material Science and Engineering from Northwestern University and a BS in Chemistry from the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. Prior to joining RIT, Dr. Edwards was a Dean of Engineering and Acting Vice President for Statutory Affairs at Alfred University. She has served as the principal investigator on fundamental and applied research projects, focusing on oxide materials for fuel cells, batteries, thermoelectric devices, environmental remediation, and solar energy applications. She has co-authored more than 60 publications and holds two U.S. patents. Thank you so much for joining us today, Doreen. Well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so I kind of want to start off with uh, maybe having you take us through your timeline and maybe your early life and what sparked your interest in engineering? Great. Well, I grew up on a ranch in South Dakota. And so what got me into engineering was really, I was attracted to the math and science courses in school. And when you like math and science courses, people tend to push you towards careers in science and engineering. Uh, there was also um, a school, the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology was not too far uh, from my home. And so I was very aware of the engineering programs there. And so that's the career I took, even though I did not get an engineering undergraduate degree. I got a degree in chemistry. And I can trace that interest back to my just fascination with this idea of atoms and molecules. I can remember being in the third grade and a teacher pointed at a table and they said, do you realize that table is filled with atoms and they're all moving at this incredible speed and they're and vibrating. And I, I was just in awe of that. You know, you look at the stationary piece of furniture and this notion that there were atoms in it moving around just fascinated me. So that's, that was the hook. Yeah, that's wild. It got you right from the beginning, the most yeah. basic of things, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say kind of your path is you were at Alfred prior to where you're at now at RIT? Um, and before Alfred, was there, what was your Yeah, career? so when I got out of my bachelor's degree, I took a job at Gould Research Center in the Chicago area. And I worked there for a few years in microelectronics. And then I switched jobs and I started working at a contract research lab that was run by Northwestern University. So I worked there for several years and at some point decided to go back to graduate school part-time first while working. And then I went back to graduate school full-time. When I got my uh, PhD degree, I decided I wanted to go into academia. And that's when I took the job at Alfred. Wonderful. Talk about maybe one of the biggest challenges you faced so far in your career and how you overcame it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of embarrassing. It's my career has actually been pretty easy. (laughs) I I, I followed, I didn't have a, um, I followed what I loved to do. Uh, I didn't think about the future more than a couple years at a time. And I ended up where, where I am. But I would say that one of the, the biggest challenges really was my attitude and thoughts about what I could achieve. 
So, you know, as I mentioned, I was a, a kid who grew up on a ranch. I was, we did not have any engineers in the family. I don't think I knew uh, a scientist or an engineer outside of maybe uh, science teachers in school. And so when I was a professor, uh, you know, a few individuals started talking to me about taking on administrative roles. And I just could not see myself in that role. I had a vision that those were jobs for somebody else and not for me. And so I think the biggest challenge was really, I guess, having the confidence that I could do a job like that and then sort of shedding off my persona as a scientist in a lab and thinking of myself (laughs) as an administrator. So that was, I think, my biggest challenge. That's interesting. What keeps you passionate? you know, in your field for after all these years? Yeah, so there are a couple things. One is the potential that science and engineering has to change the lives of people, right? So there, there are a lot, the world has a lot of problems, whether it is, you know, the, the impact that technology has had on the planet, we have the ability to change that. We have the ability to give everyone in the world a, a higher quality of life through technology. And so on one hand, that's that's one aspect that keeps me very motivated about the field in general. And then, you know, because I, I'm an educator now, the other thing that keeps me very motivated and it's a lot more immediate is to just see the incredible talent that is coming up through uh, the college pipeline. We have students who are creative and they're thinking about these problems and they're, they're bringing a, a new sight to age-old problems, and I feel like we're in good hands with our future students who will become graduates and eventually stewards of the profession. Which is wonderful to hear. We can't wait for the next next in line, you know, to take over, if you will. In your role, I'm imagining that you have to stay on top of the ever-changing technology, and it's pretty fast-paced, especially nowadays. How, how do you balance all that? Oh, you don't. I think that's the answer. You don't. <laughs> So, I mean, I made a conscious effort a, a few years ago to subscribe some, to some sort of uh, lists that condense news, and I will look at those and, you know, try to keep up, up to date with a, a number of activities. But I'll tell you, it's increasingly more and more difficult. And I think what's really frustrating is just my nature is once I see something that kind of piques my interest, I really want to learn a lot more about it. And I simply just don't have the time. So I get frustrated, you know, on Sunday morning, sure. I'll go into the rabbit hole of the web of trying to get up to speed on some technology and I'll get frustrated and, and move on to the next thing. <laughs> just hungry for that, for more and more information. Yeah. You know, so little time. Yeah. Yep. What are your thoughts on early education, especially STEM programs and in particular really for women in STEM? Hmm. or young girls? So, you know, it's hard to tell what's going to attract a student to STEM. It's like I told you the story about the atoms in the table, right? And that was something that was a a comment made from a teacher who wasn't a science teacher. And I think I think she was very uncomfortable with the concept. She was reading from a piece of paper when she was telling us about it. But yet it, it got me really excited. So, you know, I think now that I've seen more more schools do more in STEM education, uh, I'm developing some thoughts about what's good and, and what's not. So I think when I was a child, uh, you thought it was all about learning facts, right? 
And Mm -hmm. I think what I've seen some educators try to do is to infuse this sense of discovery to students and to try to make it science and technology tangible to their world. I mean, that, that's the, the key is to getting them engaged is how, how can this change your life? What, how, what interests you? And I think that's different for, for every child. You know, you'd asked about women in STEM, and I think there's quite a bit of research out there that says when young girls are, you know, pre-middle school, young boys and young girls sort of approach it in the, the same way and have the same set of interests, where you start to see the interests diverge is when they get to middle school or junior high. And I don't have an answer for that. I mean, if I did, I would probably make a research career out of it, is how, how to keep young women involved uh, when they get to that age. Yeah, I hope that just some more emphasis and telling them that's possible is this, you know, a step in the right direction. Well, I think that's right, too. I mean, I talked to you about, you know, sort of the you, you asked me about my cha- the challenges and it's having the confidence to take on a job. And so, you know, there are some things I can look back at that gave me that confidence. One was role models. You know, when you see other women in the sorts of roles that you're pursuing, you start you can envision yourself in that role a little more readily. And so I think that's important. We have a number of programs here at RIT where, uh, for example, we at RIT, Women in Engineering at RIT, and we do a lot of K through 12 outreach uh, and we target middle school, uh, you know, I think grades four to nine or five to nine. And all of the demonstrations are done by women college students. And so the idea is to have the, the girls see these young women doing the science, explaining it, and hopefully see themselves in that role. That's wonderful. And that's a good segue for, uh, I want to focus now a little bit on engineering uh, at RIT in particular. And it's kind of, if you want to give us a nice little overview of the program in general. So the College of Engineering, the Kate Gleason College of Engineering, educates about 3,000 students. About 80% of those are undergrad students and about 20% are graduate students. Uh, I'll focus mostly on the undergrad. So we offer seven majors biomedical, chemical, computer, electrical, industrial, microelectronic, and mechanical engineering. And hopefully that, ad- that adds up to seven. I hope I didn't miss anybody. <laughs> and so our, you know, our programs, uh, so mechanical engineering by far is our largest, and microelectronic is a very specialized program that's our smallest, but becoming increasingly relevant because of all the the things that we're hearing about chip shortages. So educating students in these specialized fields is is incredibly critical to our nation's economy and security. What would you say separates RIT's engineering program from other schools? Yeah, I think there are three things. And the most obvious is our co-op program. All of our students are required to complete approximately one year of cooperative education experience. So our programs right now are five years in length because of it. Another feature which distinguishes is a very robust multidisciplinary senior design course. And most institutions have a a capstone course or senior design course, but they often run these by major. And where ours is different is that we have most of our majors participating in it. So this uh, involves a team of anywhere from four to eight students from all different majors 
The projects are sponsored by a client, which could be uh, a true client like a uh, company, or it could be a research professor, or it could even be a nonprofit agency. We do a lot of work with nonprofits around the area. And then each team is led by a guide, and we are very fortunate to have uh, a large number of retired engineers who uh, guide uh, the students, and they just serve to help them. You know, they talk about their engineering experience, help keep the team on track. They're very hands-off in that the work is done by the team, but they, but they are truly a, a guide. So that multidisciplinary senior design is another uh, distinguishing feature. And then the third is just the opportunities that we provide our students to engage in engineering through extracurricular or co-curricular activities. We have a dozen clubs that have an engineering focus, whether that is the formula race team or our Hot Wheels uh, solar car team or electric vehicle motorcycle team or engineers for world health. Uh, I could list uh, the names go on and on. Uh, and our students are just passionate uh, about joining one of these clubs or even sometimes more than one and just immersing themselves in the creative aspects of engineering. That's great. Uh, for the co-ops, do you think that there's a focus more for like once they're in the field in, uh, versus in college after graduation? You know, they're, they're in the field, they're doing it for the, with a yeah. company. So I, I think in the absence of co-op, students sort of go into the workplace and they don't exactly know what they want to do and what they what to expect. And I, I can remember doing that. I, I did an internship, but it was a short internship. And when I went to work full time, I mean, there was a little bit of culture shock for them sure. going into work full time uh, as a professional um, scientist. So the one thing that's great about co-op and multiple co-ops is that students can pick these experiences to get a broad range of work experience. So they might, they might work in manufacturing, they might work in design, they might work in sales, and they really get to test out what they want to do and have a clearer vision of what they want to do going forward. And then two, I think they get to, with multiple co-ops, they get to experience multiple work environments. So every work environment has its own culture. And right. I think if you only do one internship like I did, you have this, you know, that's your only experience. And you think, well, that's the culture that every uh, employer will have. Well, that's not true. And I think our program allows students to experience a lot more. How do you, you know, keep the students motivated, especially your engineering students? But I think, you know, I talked about these co-curricular and extracurricular activities, and I think that's a huge part of it, right? Because they're, yeah. they are able to bring to these a creativity above and beyond what they would be able to do in a structured classroom. And so what I see is, is we have students that are just incredibly dedicated to the profession and just they immerse themselves in it. So I think that's... Uh, even though these are not required experiences, I think they're absolutely uh, critical and uh, Im important to the student's development. How about experience versus, you know, molding individuals once they have a job? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, this is something we always struggle with. So, you know, as educators, we reach out to our employers and we say, well, you know, what kind of skills do your do our students need? What, what do our graduates need to do? And 
you know, you will run into some employers who get very, very specific. I need someone who does exactly what my company does. Well, it, it's just not practical for mm -hmm. us to bring that in. We talked about the, you know, how technology is expanding and the it's difficult to keep up. Well, it, the same goes for building a curriculum. We, you know, we can't possibly teach every aspect of the fields of engineering to every student. So I think, you know, what we have to do is focus on fundamentals and translational skills. You know, and so one of those, I mean, right at the top is just problem solving. How, how do you tackle a generic problem? How do you bring the resources to it? And how do you solve it? So that's one. Communication skills, teamwork, um, all of these things, I think, are incredibly important important. Uh, of course, we want to graduate technically competent engineers, but again, that field, have, you know, we have to have some balance on what that, that competency is in. And so, you know, we can look at it in terms by major and we do get feedback. And every time I talk to an employer, what I hear is the students are, they're walking into it with the knowledge that they need and where there are some needs. It really has. It really gets down into the specifics of either what the employer is specifically doing, and it's something that we just can't. We can't do it all. Right. Right. Well, now, how do you prepare a student that's very focused? They're like, I want to do this when I got out of college. There's no bending almost, but then they end up not being able to maybe get right into what they dreamed of, and you know, they're what they're planning on. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'm really seeing fewer and fewer students who are like that, right? Okay. Who are who are coming to it with, and I think it has some of it has to do with how we start the education early on, and we try to expose them to more aspects. You're you are going to find these students who are just passionate about something, and usually their passion uh, carries them where they need to go, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, because of their enthusiasm, they do, they do land in their dream jobs. So I, I really, I, I don't see a, a big problem with that. What I do see, though, is you talk to somebody after they've graduated a decade later, and they're doing something that they didn't dream of doing. And I think we all do that, right? And sure. so, you know, we do try to tell our students, you know, keep your eyes open for opportunity, because you never know where it's going to take you. And I think, you know, we bring alums in to talk to our students and every alum has a story of how they started, you know, in one place and ended somewhere totally different, sometimes in the field of engineering and sometimes not. And I think that opens a student's eyes to the possibilities. Right. And you obviously know Michelle Hand. And yes. she started off here as an applications engineer and transitioned into being a business development manager. And then I know she's talked to this whole idea of keeping things open and then knowing that whatever you might have learned can then help you in the next phase. So right. I think and this is why, you know, a general education is so important to be coupled with the technical requirements. I mean, one thing I do see is I do see students coming in and they go, well, why do I have to take gen ed courses? Why can't I just go do engineering? That's what I want to do. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully we're doing a good job of explaining to them, well, why you might need this and how you apply it and how it's this gen general education coupled with your technical knowledge um, that's really going to allow you to seize on these opportunities. Right. Now, currently we're 
facing skilled labor shortage in the U.S. How would you say RIT, uh, maybe in education in the grand scheme, is is combating that? Yeah. So, you know, it depends on what you define as skilled labor. So, I mean, certainly at RIT, we are focused on students that are prepared at the bachelor's level. And I, and I think what you're referring to is more of folks who are getting associate degrees and, you know, skilled in fabrication techniques and, and the like. So, you know, there. so one of the ways that we do it is we do outreach. And when we do K through 12 outreach, we don't always just hit on, you know, come to college and get a bachelor's degree. Uh, we do expose them to our uh, machine shop and our fabrication tools. And we do a lot of demos that range from more of the, the hands-on rather than the theoretical side of technology and engineering. So that's one way that we do it. We do have strong partnerships uh, with some two-year institutions. So there are folks who might go through an associate's degree and want to go on to a bachelor's degree. We have some faculty who are doing research that's very much focused on bringing technology, things like artificial intelligence and machine learning into the skilled trades and how can they be used to either train individuals or to provide uh, additional, I guess, feedback on the processes. So, you know, we see ourselves as a, a, a part of this, a solution to, to this problem, but, but we're not on the front lines with educating skilled tradesmen. All right. What would your solution be or how would you help, do you think, to combat this skills shortage, uh, labor shortage? Like, how do you think the U.S. in general should handle it? Yeah, you know, I've seen a, I, I've seen a, a range of things that happens. Well, what, you know, one is the message we send to students, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's to try, and I'm talking pre-college students, right? Right. And to make sure that we don't undervalue the importance of skilled trades, right? So, you know, at some point there, there was a message that you, you know, you have to go get a four-year degree, right? And, and right. so a lot of students walk uh, away with that knowledge. And I think, there are a lot of uh, groups that are also saying, or there are two-year degrees, and the, these are very uh, great. These are good careers, and they may be you may be more interested in them. So I think it's telling students that all these pathways are possible, and it's an individual choice, and each of these pathways has value. So that's that's one piece at the very early age. When you get to the point of someone graduating from high school, the reality is is that some people uh, can't afford to go on uh, and get college education, right? And okay. so I know that there are there are some industries who have act or are doing schools to help train uh, skilled workers within their facilities, and they provide them a wage when they're doing it. And I think I, I really do think that has a lot of benefit is providing, I, I don't know if you call them apprenticeships, I'm not, I'm not that familiar with the work, but I think providing individuals a way to uh, get exposed to the technology while still earning a living, uh, I think is a critical piece to that. Great. Sort of a big question, I suppose, but what are your thoughts on automation? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, 
Seriously, I think there are so many interesting things happening and new advances in automation in terms of how artificial intelligence and machine learning will be combined with automation, how the workplace will be transformed by humans in the loop working with collaborative robots. I, I think there's there are, we're on somewhat of a, uh, a revolution in the workplace due to automation. And I, and I think there are just a lot of exciting things. It's uh, It presents the need for individuals to have a, an expanded work set. It's not going to be the same as it was 20 years ago and 30 years ago. So I think there's a lot of room uh, for techno- technology improvement, a lot of room for educating individuals with new skills. So I think it's an exciting time. I agree. So why Rochester? You know, why, you know, living here, working here, and some of your other favorite aspects are. Yeah, well, so I moved to Rochester in 2016 and I absolutely love it. And, you know, some of the reasons are is it's just the size of the city. It's manageable. I lived in Chicago for years and I mean, something as simple as I want to take a flight somewhere else. You know, when I lived in Chicago, you know, getting to the airport and the time to get on that plane is just amazing. And and here it's just so accessible. Right. So you can. And it's also so accessible that, you know, I can live in the country, which I do, and be downtown in 20 minutes and be enjoy and enjoying all of the cultural aspects that Rochester has to offer, whether it's, you know, music or restaurants or galleries. Uh, All of that is just so accessible in such a short period of time. Summers are great. You know, winters, eh. I have to agree with you there. (laughs) Yeah. So, How about giving advice to a younger Doreen? What What would you say to yourself? You know, I think, again, have more confidence in your in yourself. Yeah. I think that was the number one. And, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I think that's for any, any uh, that's advice to anybody younger is you don't know what you don't know. And to be open to experience. And, and I think I was for the most part. So, you know, but I think that's it. Just have more confidence in yourself. Good. Tell us something that's one of the most exciting or new things that's happening currently with RIT and the engineering department. Well, you know, one of the most exciting things that's happened at RIT is uh, goes beyond engineering, but it's going to impact engineering in a big way. And we are building a new central facility that's going to be this huge maker space that's open to all students. So it's a, it's called the shed. So, and I'm, I hope I get this right. It's the student hall for exploration and development. I hope I got that right. But, you know, it's somewhat ironic because it's this giant, beautiful building and we're going to call it the shed. Uh, but within it, it is going to be this gigantic maker space with all sort of digital, digital fabrication technologies, whether it's 3D printing or CNC machining. There will also be some manual machine equipment. We will be moving many of our student clubs into this so that they can have access to this great equipment and collaborate. And it's even going to have a black box theater. So it's not going to be just about science and technology, but it's also going to have 
a place for people to explore the performing arts. And then it's going to have a, a lot of new classrooms and very modern classroom spaces. So that's the big news on RIT's campus. Within engineering, what I'm really excited about is we launched three new PhD programs. And so our students have a pathway from the bachelor's through the master's to the PhD in almost every discipline that we offer. And so we're seeing incredible uh, research in areas uh, ranging from materials and semiconductor devices through machine learning and artificial intelligence to energy and the environment. And I'm just touching on some of those. So lots of uh, good things will be coming out of our college in the next few years. Sounds really exciting. I can't wait to take a tour and see some of that. How about where do you see the field of engineering going? What are your predictions? Yeah, so one of the things that I think we will see is just an increase in the interdisciplinarity and multidisciplinarity of engineering. So, you know, right now students come in and they take a major, you know, I'm going to be a mechanical engineer, I'm going to be an electrical engineer. Well, if we just take something like mechanical engineering, a lot of students are attracted to it because of the automotive aspect or you know, trains, planes, and automobiles is a, is a lot of what will get, or robotics will get students interested in mechanical engineering. Well, it's not just about the mechanical part of it. It's also uh, in order to be on the cutting edge, they have to be interested in the electrical and the computer engineering part of it. And I think those lines between disciplines are going to become more and more fuzzy and our graduates are going to have to be more and more adept at working across disciplinary lines. And it's going to extend not only from engineering, but into other disciplines as well. So I think that will be a, an interesting part of what we see in the, in the field in general. And, you know, the thing we always have to keep in mind is we're educating students for jobs that don't exist today. <laughs> right. Even though yeah. it may be called engineering, the, the engineering that I was uh, educated to do or my peers were educated to do versus what we're educating students to do, it's going to be entirely different. On paper, that almost sounds impossible, but we know in practice it is not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I may be exaggerating a little bit. It's not, you know, the fundamentals are still there, but it's uh, knowing how to selectively prune and grow uh, what the academic experience is. Right. Jack and Jill's of all trades kind of thing. Yeah. What What is the, as we wrap up here, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is email and you, you can Google me uh, or I'll just give it to you. It's two D's, three E's and an N uh, <laughs> at rit.edu. Wonderful. Well, is there anything you want to add as we close out, Doreen? No, I just, uh, other than to thank you for this opportunity to talk to you and to share a little bit about uh, my personal experience and about RIT, I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, being a neighbor of Calvary's right in the Rochester area, I think it's great for us to connect and for our listeners to hear more about everything RIT has to offer. And I thank you for your time. I think that's about it for us today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Goodbye.